So the biggest thing I've learned in getting on media, whether it's TV, online, anything, is that you know you have to create something that people care about beyond just like, hey, look at me, I, I read a book, awesome. Welcome to The Author Biz, the show that's all about the business of being an author. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and this is episode number 31. Wherever you are, however you listen, thanks for spending some of your time with me today. Let's start this episode with a question. What do you have planned for your next book launch? What's your strategy for making it the biggest success it can possibly be? You're not relying on your publisher for launch plans, are you? My guest today is first-time author Nicole Lappin. She was the youngest anchor ever at both CNN and CNBC, and as you'll hear in this episode, she's a big believer in setting goals and doing the hard work that's necessary to achieve them. When she wrote Rich Bitch, a simple 12-step plan for getting your financial life together, she could have sat back and let her publisher tell her how the book should be marketed. But Nicole is not someone who follows the conventional wisdom. Rich Bitch is the most unconventional and entertaining book of financial advice I've ever read, and I've read way more than my share. And she wanted an unconventional plan for launching her book. So she reached out to experts, people who have written hugely successful books, for advice on how Rich Bitch should be launched. Then she went through a process she describes as one of the hardest things she's ever done, to put together a targeted, non-traditional launch plan that she believes will help her achieve the goals she set for the book. Rich Bitch is obviously a non-fiction book, but the outside-the-box thinking Nicole used to put together her launch plan is not just interesting in the abstract, it's something that can be modified and applied to books of all types. My guest today is money expert and financial journalist, Nicole Lappin, who's just published her first book titled Rich Bitch, a 12-step plan for getting your financial life together. Nicole has spent several years in front of the camera. She was the youngest anchor ever at CNN and then went on to claim the same title at CNBC, where she anchored the network's worldwide exchange program. She's also running her own production company and writing books while still doing television. Nicole, welcome to the Author Biz. And doing podcasts. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. You were one of the voices in my ear several years ago at the gym at 6 o'clock in the morning <laughs> during some particularly bad times in the financial world. And I, I did not recognize your name, but I recognized your voice. Oh, my gosh. Were you watching Morning Joe uh, when you were on the treadmill? It was a variety of things. But, yeah, and it was one of those things where, you know, there's just a lot of bad stuff going on in the world financially. Right. And uh, everybody on the treadmill was focused on something. So I'd see something and flip over to their channel. So it it was a variety of things. Oh, well, I'm glad uh, to finally talk to you now and have a two-sided conversation. (laughs) It is funny how some people are audio people and some people are are visual people. I'm clearly an audio person. So you've managed to translate all of this business experience and this interest in money into a fabulous book titled Rich Bitch. I've read it. It's a plain English book, no holds barred, financial advice, entertaining, educational. How did you do it? 
Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for reading it. You can be our honorary male rich bitch. <laughs> Stephen, welcome to the club. You know, for me, it was really important to talk about money in that easy-to-understand way. And I had read so many money books that really didn't speak to me and were, frankly, pretty boring. So I wanted to rethink conventional financial wisdom and speak in an edgy, sassy way and a real raw and authentic way as well, because I had never found any thing that had done that before. And you did it. It's, uh, it is indeed edgy and raw. <laughs> yes. You know, my publisher actually was like, really, Nicole, do you want to share all of your experiences, warts and all? Do you really want to go there and talk about your ex-boyfriends and talk about <laughs> your salary and all of that stuff? And I said, yeah, you know what? I really have to do that because I think my reader is smart. She might not be totally up to speed with everything about her finances because she maybe wasn't spoken to in a way she could understand before, but that's okay. She's really smart and she's going to see past any BS I try to throw her way. So I am going to talk about all the ways I messed up along the way. And hopefully if my reader can laugh at me, I will take it for the team (laughs) as long as she smiles when she thinks about money. And hopefully she can learn something from some of my faux pas along the way. The book is broken out into steps, 12 steps, the traditional 12-step path to solving a problem. So you're you're helping people to solve financial problems, and you do it in a way, so many, you you mentioned financial books. I've read a lot of them, and so many of them are just as dry as dirt, (laughs) and um, it's really hard to stay engaged enough to get the message. You are speaking to a very specific target audience in their language and making things very understandable. Um, was this a challenge for you or is, is this just your natural voice? You know, I needed to become comfortable in my own skin. Um, Being on the air for over a decade, I believe 12 years now, I started on the floor of the stock exchange in Chicago when I was 18. Um, So it took me a while to actually feel comfortable with this language. I grew up in an immigrant household. There was never a Wall Street Journal on the kitchen table. There was never any discussion about stocks or bonds. It was only cash, like many first-generation American families. And so I needed to learn this language of money for myself, and I did so in the School of Hard Knocks. And once I realized that it was a language just like anything else, I said, wow, you know, it felt like a closed-off boys club for so long and it felt so scary and so intimidating. But once I got into this club, I kind of realized that it's not that serious. There just wasn't a Rosetta Stone for the language. And when I first started speaking this language, it sounded like Chinese, but then I really mastered it. And not only did I speak it, but I spoke it to the world. And I felt a big responsibility to speak to my former self, who was sort of smiling and nodding through these conversations around money, too scared to join the conversation. So yeah, it was a challenge, but I wanted to create something that had confidence and attitude and spoke in the language that I speak in right now. You know, it took me a while being on the air. I think a lot of green reporters sort of have this cadence to their voice. You've heard that before on local news, like, there is a local fire. And it takes a while of just a lot of reps in the media to find your own voice. So I found my voice and I wanted to own it. As part of telling your story, you, you tell the story of setting some goals in the, the sort of unique way that you uh, r- memorialize your goals. 
one of one of the goals that you had fairly early on was to write not just a book but a series of books as uh, as a way of sharing the knowledge that you have. Yeah, for me, I wanted to make personal finance aspirational and not deprivational. I, I think that there was a lot. Uh, out there that yelled at you, uh, whether it was in books or in the media when it came to sort of personal finance advice. And I didn't want to be yelled at, much less yell at anyone. (laughs) So I thought, gosh, there has to be a better way. And, you know, we have to look at our money differently in order to take control of it. Um, And I think that a financial diet is a lot like a regular diet in a lot of ways. If you allow yourself small indulgences, you won't binge later on. And if you create something sustainable, you will, you know, be in it to the to win it for the long run. So for me, I really wanted to be unapologetic about that. And I knew that there was a void in the marketplace for a voice like that. And my goal, yeah, was to write a series of rich bitch books. This was my first foray as a 12-step program as you mentioned, borrowing from my friends at other 12-step uh-huh. programs. First, of course, admit you have a problem. And trust me, I have problems. I have more issues than Vogue. I wanted to be <laughs> really honest about that. We're, you know, we're all in the same boat here. I might have figured out a lot along the way, but I certainly don't know everything. I just want to share what I have learned along the way to show women, especially, that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to your money. There is no nothing that should be taken as gospel, even what I say. You should just rethink conventional financial wisdom and start thinking for yourself. So my goal eventually, first I have to birth this book, um, and that is quite a process, which I can tell you more about, and I'm sure your listeners will be very interested to hear what I've gone through just behind the scenes. But um, yeah, like a rich bitch series of a, you know, a la the dummies series. So hopefully I'm knocking on, what am I knocking on my computer right now? So that's not wood. Um it will do really well and we can have more longevity through other rich bitch for entrepreneurialism, rich bitch for, you know, buying a house, for whatever, for different aspects of getting your career and financial life together. Okay. There will be some that see the title and assume that the entirety of the book is about money, about making money, saving money, getting rich. Um, That's not really what the book's about, is it? It's about coming up with goals for your life and realizing that you need money for those goals. So being a an anchor whom you listen to on the treadmill for many years, <laughs> I realized that every single story, Stephen, goes back to money. You just need to follow the money trail. So for me, it was important to say money becomes really interesting when you don't compartmentalize it into my checkbook. And then all of a sudden you break out into hives or like my taxes. And that feels really scary. Money goes back to every aspect of your life. So when you stop siloing it into this one scary place and realizing that when you come up with goals for what I call the three F's, yes, as you read from my book, I do like to swear. So I do it in the book too. I think it's the first personal finance book that does swear. Um, Come up with the three F's, family, finance, and fun. And when you come up with goals for all of those aspects of your life, you realize I'm going to need money for those goals, but I also have to make sure that they're all compatible. So I can't be a trauma surgeon and a stay-at-home mom. Um, You have to look at sort of the totality of what you're 
doing in your life now, what you want for it in the future, and uh, figuring out how to get there and figuring out how to get the money to achieve those goals. Now, it's interesting. You mentioned earlier that in the book you challenge conventional wisdom. You didn't use those terms, but you do challenge conventional wisdom. Things like, I'm 58 years old. My entire life, the goal for everyone is to have a home and own a home. And life has changed. The world has changed a lot since I was 25, 30 years old. And you have a slightly different spin on things like owning a home. And you you get into a lot of details about why you might choose to buy a home, why you might choose to rent, um, why you might choose to you know, do any number of things. I don't want to go too deep into the book, but there's a lot of nitty-gritty detail into assigning values to things and making intelligent choices. You know, nothing is for everyone when it comes to your financial life. So I think for me, I had heard buy a house, buy a house, buy a house, almost like a peanuts gallery voice in my head. This was what, you know, sort of financial experts had said throughout the years. Don't buy a latte, buy a house. Don't buy a latte, buy a house. And I would be scared and I'd like want to crawl in the fetal position and hide in my basement and stock up on water. Um, When really I didn't stop and think for myself okay, is that actually advice for me? What if I buy my latte and rent a house? How about I start thinking for myself? And I think we all come to that realization at some point where you question conventional financial wisdom. And buying a house is a great example of that. Sure, it could be great for you. I'm not poo-pooing it. But it doesn't apply to everyone across the board, nor does any advice for that matter. So I think home ownership is just one example uh, of the idea that, yes, we're in a new normal, you know, Stephen, the, what home ownership and the white picket fence and the so-called American dream was when you were 25, you know, is no longer the case right now. So we are creating our own destiny, our own dream. The, the quintessential American dream, I believe, is dead. And, you know, being an entrepreneur is a big winner of the Great Recession that I anchored in the forefront of. Mm-hmm. Starting a podcast like you are, I think, that, you know, we're taking our life and our destiny into our own hands. So I wanted to create financial advice that reflected this new culture. Near the beginning of the book, you you tell a story about a mentor of yours asking you one of the big questions that people ask, and you didn't have an answer for it. You didn't have a cohesive narrative for what you wanted to do, and it's something that you really advise that we all do. Um, it's, it's funny, I'll talk to authors, and I talk to authors all the time, and I'll ask for someone to just tell me the story of their book, and sometimes it's difficult to even tell the story of the book or what genre the book is in, and that, that part that, that you wrote in, near the beginning of your book about the cohesive narrative really struck home to me and, and the idea that we all need to be able to articulate what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. It's so funny because I really wanted to be as brutally honest as possible. And I asked myself, what was the thing that gave me most anxiety when it came to money? And it was the simplest question of them all. What do you want to do? And I was just struck with this insane anxiety when anyone, whether it was a mentor or somebody at work or a friend or a family member would ask me, what do you want to do? And I wanted to do so many things and I was a really (laughs) ambitious girl and it wasn't that I didn't want to do anything. I was just, I I, I was at a loss of words. I was like that. Uh, 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 
And that was a terrible feeling because I didn't actually answer the question. And I think when I sat down to answer the question, I had so much more clarity and so much more focus in my life. And those goals changed along the way. But studies show that women who create cohesive narratives for their lives, and I'm sure that those studies can apply to men as well, are more likely to be successful because you are laser focused, you're clear, and you're concise. And whether your goals change, I created one, three, five, seven, ten 10-year goals, that's okay. They should change. Allow them to change, but create sort of a structure for yourself so it doesn't feel as uh, chaotic. It's, it's funny. You talk a lot about focus in the book, and you occasionally talk about passion. And, and one of the things that's sort of a hallmark of today is that we're all supposed to follow our passions, but sometimes we have so many passions that it's impossible to follow them with any talent at all. So it does require that focus and goals and, and a directed effort to the right passion. <laughs> I think that's right. I just learned a new word from a good friend of mine who's also a author, Randy Zuckerberg. Um, I was just at uh, drinks with her and her husband, and she, her husband said, Randy is a polymath. And I was like, that's a brilliant word. And so that was, that, you know, was somebody who's really talented at a whole bunch of things. And she's brilliant and talented and does a ton of stuff and does it really well. Um, but I think when you follow your passions, that's awesome. Um, there, there's sort of a new part of the zeitgeist that um, being an entrepreneur, you know, is something that's accessible to everyone, which is awesome, except for the fact that it's also accessible to everyone. So you sort of are able to go to Staples now and get a business card that says CEO. But what does that mean? Are you a CEO or is there a little bit of fake it till you make it, which I am cool with to an extent until it's time to get real. So uh, I think when people are looking to embrace going off to do their own thing, whether it's podcasting in South Florida or (laughs) starting an alpaca farm in South America or a cupcake shop in Brooklyn, you know, before you take that leap, just be really clear with what those goals are and do you have a backup plan and a financial, uh, you know, oops, uh, savings account and also uh, sort of keep up with your contacts at the same time. So I always advise people to, if you have a passion to say go into podcasting or something like that, try that on the side while you're still at work, while you're accumulating an emergency fund and other things. And see if you actually really like it because sometimes people don't like it. And I think it's just as important to realize you don't like something as realizing you do like something. There was a line in the book that if if I had been reading a physical book, I probably would have torn through the page underlining it. Instead, I just highlighted it in the Kindle version. But the line is, and this is for people getting into entrepreneurship for the first time, assume you are going to suck at starting your own business. (laughs) Yeah. No one assumes they're going to suck at starting their own business, but we all do. You know, and I've started a business too, so I can tell you that I sucked a lot along the way. And I think that you can't fly the G5 until you make the money. You know, you can't drink the milk before you have the cow, so to speak. And uh, I think that there's so much 
sex appeal, really, um, to being an entrepreneur these days. On the cover of magazines, we'll see the likes of Sarah Blakely, who's awesome, the great founder of Spanx, or Mark Zuckerberg. And we see this sort of uh, celebrity cachet around it and that it's all bling bling and private jets. It's not. It's hard. And starting a business is going to suck a lot of the time. So what I've learned from business um, that I know is true, I know we started this uh, conversation talking about the fact that nothing is a truism and there is no gospel, but I do think there are two things that I learned that are true. First, that it's better to beat low expectations. Um, and that is one thing I've learned from my time on Wall Street covering the financial crisis. If you beat low expectations, you've, you've done great if you fail from high expectations, you feel really crappy about yourself. So it's always better to beat low expectations. And by the way, the other one is buy low, sell high, but that's for a whole other conversation. <laughs> that may really be a truism that's uh, yeah. always, always works. That's right. Okay, let's talk about your author business a little bit. You talked about the idea of getting this book launched. There are going to be people that listen to this podcast. Maybe they're familiar with you, or maybe they just hear the intro and they know that you've been on TV. They know that people know who you are. So it's got to be, and I'm saying this in quotes, it's got to be really easy for you to get a book deal. Oh. <laughs> Oh, God bless you. <laughs> Nothing, Stephen, worth having is easy. But, you know, this book process, I did. I, I went into it. Um, first, I went into it with moderate expectations. Um, selling my book, if we want to start there, and I'm happy to be very open and honest about this whole thing because it I have learned a ton going through it the first time. Mm -hmm. um, selling it, I actually did get a ton of offers, which was really great. But I did come up with a very exhaustive proposal. It took me a long time to put together. Um, and once I did get the deal, I thought that writing a book that I believed, and everybody believes when they write a book, that this has never been done before. But I really <laughs> believed that, you know, I... I swearing for the first time in a money book, be creating a skinny bitch for money, so to speak, something that would not compete in the section of the personal finance section at the bookstore, but in the front of the bookstore for a woman who would have never picked up a money book otherwise. I knew this hadn't existed, and I was like, this is going to be really tough to write. So I had come up with a couple of different versions for it, and I, I finally got it to a place where I'm satisfied with it. You know, I go back, I'm looking at a, a copy right now sitting next to me, and there are things, obviously, that you wish you could change. But I thought that would be the hardest part. Boy, was I wrong. The lead-up to the launch is by far one of the hardest things I've ever done in creating a marketing strategy, in creating promotions strategy, media, and everything else. Nothing comes easy. And every... I, I picked the brains of so many authors and I've, you know, y y obviously you will forget more than I will ever know about picking brains of authors, but, you know, I had learned from each of them, uh, little tidbits along the way and from the best, best selling authors to people who created something really special, um, out of nowhere, uh, it was a struggle getting on TV shows, getting um, a social media strategy going, online events, offline events, each aspect of it. I mean, easy is the last word I would apply to that process. Okay, now let's, let me stop you here and, and dig into this a little bit because this is, this is fascinating. There are a number of people who still feel like 
once they get their publishing deal, they're done. They just have oh to write God. the book and then maybe do a book tour. Um, you, you're talking pre-launch strategy sessions for marketing. And, and I look at the marketing material for this, and I look at the way you brand yourself, and it's all you. It, this is not somebody else's idea for the book. This is, this is clearly your vision for your brand coming through in the book marketing. And, and that's not something that I think most people would expect to do when they write a book. Well, let me tell you, I, I'm going back to my friend Randy, and uh, I did her radio show uh, that she has on Sirius, and she actually launched two books at the same time, and I asked her during the radio show, I couldn't help myself but to ask questions too, that's what I do, but I said, was it harder to, she just had her second child, have two babies, or push out two babies, or push out two books, and she said, hands down, pushing out two books, and I will tell you that you know, for, for me, the book tour thing is kind of a joke. Nobody wants to hang out with me at Barnes & Noble. Let's be serious in God knows where. Like, I have to be really honest about that. The, the whole idea of a book tour, I think that having the, weighing the ROI, which is return on investment, you'll mm -hmm. find that in the glossary of my book, um, is, you know, it's change. And so, obviously, we've talked about the idea that I'm a big fan of rethinking convention. And so I wanted to rethink this idea of a traditional book tour. I, I, so I scrapped this whole, like, let's run around and go to Barnes & Noble thing. Um, instead, we're doing some targeted events with different women's groups that have a big list. So this sort of list and influencer arbitrage, mm -hmm. which is I don't know if I've coined that term, but that's what I've been calling it with my team, is something that I'm really trying to master. So finding influencers, women in my sweet spot who love the book, who can be my ambassadors, I think will pay dividends more than schlepping around to God knows where and praying that somebody is going to come and hang out with me at Barnes & Noble. I wouldn't even hang out with myself at Barnes & Noble, so I don't really <laughs> wish that on anybody else. Um, so that, that's the way I've sort of rethought the traditional book tour. Um, and then for, I hired somebody from, on my own team for marketing, um, a guy named Ryan Holiday, who has worked with other authors in the past. Mm -hmm. no, Brian's great. Okay, great. Um, I didn't know how specific or granular uh, the audience gets into this, but uh, I was really surprised that a guy like Ryan even existed or that I needed him. Um, so we hired him too. And yeah, we, we're just really focused uh, on now, you know. Um, now let me, let me take a step back. You okay. said you hired him. Did you hire him or did the publisher hire him? I hired him. Okay. And that's another point that I'm just trying to bring out. You're doing this stuff. You're spending your money to market the book. Yes. I need to read Rich Bitch at the end of the book <laughs> process for sure. <laughs> Maybe that's book two. Rich absolutely. Bitch for starving artists. <laughs> yeah. For, for writers. Absolutely. So I hired him. I hired a traditional PR firm. I hired a social media PR firm, um, and some other social companies that are helping me find the influencers in my sweet spot that I mentioned before, because, mm -hmm. um, while you might think I'm cool, I appreciate that. Uh, I do not know a lot of these YouTube influencers. And so I needed some help in getting to the right uh, young women out there. So I've hired other firms for that. Now, another thing that I see you doing, probably with the help of some of these people that you've hired, is experimenting. 
it, it seems like you're experimenting with different things. Some things work, some things don't work. Uh, what, what are you seeing that's working the best for you right now? As you know, When we record this, it's February 4th. We're three weeks away from launch date. You're really starting to gear things up. What, what, have, what has worked particularly well for you? So the experiments that you're referencing are some videos that I produced as social experiments. So getting on TV for me, you might think is really easy or for other, you know, TV personalities. It's not right now. Just going out to promote a book is not something that the talk shows are booking. They're doing things that are more interactive and we come up with games around money and uh, other things versus just that you're not going to get a straight, here's my book unless you're J.K. Rowling. Like, you're, mm-hmm. no, nobody is going to get on GMA to just sit there and talk about their book these days. It's a, it, Again, it's a new normal, and I was really surprised by that. So we've had to come up with sort of gimmicks um, that are tangentially related to the book, but not just a straight book segment. So um, some of them are videos, and uh, I came out with a campaign taking back the word bitch. So the word bitch in my title um, is obviously you know, a statement. Um, for me, being a bitch is about living a full, rich life in all aspects of the word and taking back a derogatory word. I've been called a bitch in a derogatory sense, but I'm taking it back and owning it in an empowering, aspirational way. So I created a video of power women taking back the word bitch to create a dialogue and a discussion that lasts longer than the longevity of just the book launch. So we can create this, you know, conversation in the zeitgeist that will sustain beyond just week one. We also created social experiments um, talking to girls and young women about money and what the idea about of being rich is. Then we created a marshmallow, rethought the marshmallow test, um, which if you're not familiar with the marshmallow test, you give a marshmallow to kids and if they can sit there for a period of time and not eat the marshmallow, then they get another marshmallow. (laughs) And that actually shows, you know, that it's linked to sort of future success and other great uh, attributes. So we did that with money. We gave kids and young women uh, $10 and said, if you put a portion of that in a piggy bank, we'll double that next year if you, or you can just take it right now. So we watched and to see what they did. And we created, um, other video content around Nielsen studies that I did um, that really contributes to the marketplace of ideas in a um, in a meaningful way, not just a promotional way. So the biggest thing I've learned in getting on media, whether it's TV, online, anything, is that you know you have to create something that people care about beyond just like, hey, look at me, I, I read a book, awesome. Even when you have social influencers tweet about that or Facebook about that. It's not just like a link to the book. It's a link to an article where you're quoted in contributing some interesting ideas. And there is a link to the book within that. Um, so the dialogue is meaningful. Those were my three goals with the book, you know, me and my um, goal (laughs) fanatic, you know, the first one was to hit the list, which hopefully is a very sort of measurable thing. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I do, uh, week one, you know, the second thing was to create a meaningful conversation, um, beyond launch week. And the third thing was to create a sustaining platform for me for the future. You have, I, I, I did not follow you on social media prior to us scheduling this interview, but I do follow you now. Um, you have a number of Facebook likes, you have a, a ton of Twitter followers. 
Did you have all of that when you started this process, or has that grown significantly since you went into the pre-launch process, and is it a meaningful part of your plan? It is a meaningful part of my plan. I did have a pretty significant social following before I went into my book endeavor. It has grown um, measurably. I will tell you the thing that made it grow the most um, was a contest that I did that ended um, for the Super Bowl, (laughs) (laughs) Um, where I gave out two Super Bowl tickets to people who entered the contest and we got, you know, uh, tens of thousands of people, uh, entering that contest. So it was, it wasn't a book promotion overtly. I, you know, people love the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) There were a lot of entries around that. Well, how did you, how did you do the contest? How did you set it up? I'm curious. We set it up through a site called King Sumo. And do you know that site? Yes. Okay. Um, I didn't before. I've learned so much. Mm -hmm. Um, But I set it up that way, and I made it a very low barrier to entry. Just enter your email address. Um, I thought about doing, like, pre-order the book and then show me the receipt, and then you can enter. But then that got really complicated. So there are all sorts of other legal rules around purchase Mm -hmm. contests. So you just did an email address and then we're going to figure out how to market to the people who didn't win the contest. Um, and hopefully bring them on to team Lappin for the long run. And how are you going to do that? We're going to, uh, send them a copy of my ebook. So I created a free ebook, which was Mm -hmm. another strategy of ours, um, for Amazon. It's a rich bitch guide to love and money. So that is free leading up to the launch of the book. And then I get to take it and send it to special people through my marketing list. Okay. um, Emails. Yeah. What have you brought from your media career into your your strategy for launching the book because your your strategy is different from any book launch short of Tim Ferriss's that I've ever seen really yes it's it's Do tell. it's different how is it different i mean i've i've tried to here's the thing tried to uh figure out what Tim, Gary Vaynerchuk, other guys mm-hmm. in that world have done. Um, and I wanted to do all of it. Um, I realized I couldn't do all of it, so I needed to choose. They were the ones that uh, actually turned me on to the podcasting world. And uh, it wasn't part of my media strategy at first. And frankly, when I told my publisher that I was um, aiming to do podcasts that mm-hmm. were targeted and influential for the book, they said, what's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't joking. <laughs> they said, oh, so you're going to interview people and put it on your website? And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. There's an icon on your iPhone that says podcast. That's where you can find <laughs> these things. I mean, it was comedy. So um, so the podcast part of my media strategy was something that I incorporated into traditional media as well, which has befuddled to my um, to my chagrin a lot of my traditional media folks. Uh, you know, 
I, I think that I'm I'm obviously right on this one, and I think <laughs> you would agree too. Well, you're also doing a lot of different things on social media, and not just Facebook and Twitter. You're using other platforms like YouTube, which is a natural for you. Um, but I, it, it, Pinterest, or I think it's Pinterest. I see a lot of your stuff on Pinterest as well. Yeah, Pinterest was important too. So I have uh, created memes. Uh, for a lot of influencers. Um, so the influencers who've endorsed my book, which was great. We have a ton of, um, TV folks, CEOs, uh, in that world, a lot of females, a lot of guys too, like the founders of Warby Parker who are very on brand and we've created memes for them and for companies and organizations who have supported me. So it's easy for them to send out to their followers. So it's just like a picture of them with our logo and hashtag and a quote either that they gave us or that they've said that's on brand. Um, you know, and so we put that on there. So it's easy to say, Hey, can you send this out on a particular day? Not like, Hey, can you tweet about me? So it's, it's very like spoon fed. So it actually gets done. And then I send the calendar invite like, Oh, by the way, you have to send this thing out. Thanks. Well, and, and those are the things that I mean that are unusual. And and when I say Tim Ferriss, I, I mean to throw all those other, like Gary Vaynerchuk and people like that, who just have this plan, basically, for getting their books in the bestseller list. Um, and they they inevitably work. But yours is, yours is different. It's not as in your face as theirs. Yours is a more subtle version of in your face, <laughs> if, that, if that makes any sense at all. It, it, it's you. subtle and appealing, and it draws you in as opposed to a punch in the face that you would get from Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> <laughs> Gary is a machine. Um, you know, I I, I love Gary. I've actually, I interviewed Gary uh, on CNN over a decade ago. We did a South by Southwest panel a million years ago. And mm-hmm. so and when he didn't even have VaynerMedia. So, you know, I talked to him and he told me to get on podcasts. He also told me to get off the grid for a week and email everybody I ever have met and ask them to buy books. And I wasn't comfortable doing that. So for me, it wasn't a it wasn't a vanity play, although there is a benchmark, as I said, for my first goal for this book to hit the list, which mm-hmm. is somewhat of a vanity play. But the, beyond that is, you know, the idea that women need this information. I believe that in my heart and I want them to love it and I want to get it to the women who need it most. So for me, it's about creating value add in hopefully a subtle way, as you mentioned, um, but in a meaningful way that, that sparks conversation about like taking back the word bitch or what does rich mean or Mm -hmm. sort of like bigger cultural ideas, um, that help women feel comfortable with this topic. That's been taboo for so, so long. You know, the next video we're coming out with is one where women will admit their weight versus their salary. So I, I think for me being this champion, um, of women being able to talk about their salary for the first time is something that hasn't been done before. And so, uh, I wanted to tread more carefully in the world. And I also, I've never done a book before, so I've probably made a ton of mistakes along the way. Maybe my second book, I'll be more in your face. I don't know. Um, or maybe for the second book, you'll be doing a book tour because uh, <laughs> you, you, you're doing all these things now because you, 
I don't know whether you're thumbing your nose at the traditional way, which doesn't work anymore. So it's good that you're not doing it. Um, or it's just, I don't know what I don't know. So I'm doing what I think will work. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've i tried a lot. I think for me, I, I'm doing some offline events, but they're targeted. I'm doing a Step Up is a women's organization we're working with that are putting on events. Elevate is another women's organization. Sally Krawcheck's uh, women's group that we're working with to do a couple of cities. Um, but it, it, on a very on-brand experience. So I wanted to create value add for her, my reader, and not just be like, hey, look at me, I'm at Barnes and Noble, come hang out. I mean, that's really, who cares? Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I wanted to say, here's a power woman brunch, and we're going to have some awesome, a panel of awesome women. And, you know, I want you to be part of this conversation. Or we were thinking about a rich bitch contest where we find, you know, women in different cities to, sign up for why they think they're a rich bitch or what their idea is. And, and then the winner sort of, we give them seed money or we give them other things. So there's value add um, because I think that right now people are just over like the in your face promotion. And it just, I don't think it translates. I could be wrong. I could totally be wrong, but I, I, you know, it was, we started this conversation out by me saying that I love this woman who I'm talking to. Like I made this a consumer play. That's why I'm working my booty off trying to promote it in an unconventional way because it's not a corporate play. I am not getting any corporate money from putting the word bitch in my title, but I'm making something that she hopefully will love for the long term. So Fidelity is not sponsoring a book tour for me or buying, you know, 10,000 books because they won't because it's racy for them. But I think, you know, the brand equity that I'm putting into creating something authentic and something that is a consumer play hopefully will pay dividends for me later on. But talk to me in a couple of weeks. <laughs> well, and, and it supports everything else that you're doing. If, if people go to your website, which is NicoleLappin.com, they'll see all of these things that you're doing. Um, of course, the primary focus right now is the book, but there are these other things, your, your media production, um, the, thing, the, the other work that you're doing. You have a, a smartwatch, um, a cash smartwatch. That's, it's really clever. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I went on HSN to sell uh, the first ever financial smartwatch, and it's all about, as you said, building a brand that creates accessible financial content, that creates fun, entertaining business content. And that's it. So it reaches a bunch of different platforms. The book was a really important one for me. But yes, as you said, you're creating content on air. Um, I, I just signed up for uh, as being a Red Book money columnist. I'm joining Team Red, which is very exciting. So I'll have a monthly column in the magazine. Um, and then also a show on AOL called I'll Never Forget My First. We started this mm -hmm. conversation out saying I'll never forget my first book. But um, <laughs> But all kidding aside, it's it's the title of a show that I created and also host for AOL Originals that has Jerry Seinfeld's show and Nicole Richie's show. So it's a, like a great, great uh, platform right now uh, where I interview power women about the first time they knew they made it. So it's part of my book, too, in celebrating uh, women who've done great things in their career, but in a sort of tongue in cheek way where we're like, you know, it's not that serious, but we are celebrating, you know, little things, 
um, in your life. For me, it was avocados, as you saw from my book, is the little things that I thought, oh my gosh, I've made it. I can buy as many avocados <laughs> at the store as I want. Um, but yeah, I interview women like that. So it's all about building out a multimedia approach to the very same message. I'm not changing my message, whether I'm on Wendy Williams' show talking about saving money, um, Access Hollywood Live talking about giving your kids an allowance, or uh, the Insider Entertainment Tonight talking about the business of Hollywood. It all goes back to money for me. All right. One last question, and then and then we'll wrap it up. Um, you, you were on television for a long time, drawing a salary, and then you became an entrepreneur. That's a dramatic change, something that a lot of authors are facing now, um, where they are... You know, maybe they're working and writing books, or maybe they're traditionally published and they're going to begin self-publishing. Um, any advice for people that are facing a specific big change like that as, as, as it relates to the amount of money that's coming in right now? Yeah, I think uh, before you take that leap into entrepreneurial land, you know, there are, there's a checklist that I have for people who are thinking about it. You know, I can I can tell you what some of those things are, but just briefly is, you know, first, do you have six to nine months of expenses saved up? Second, have you done a ton of research into the profession and you studied up on the competition? Third, have you come up with a plan that we talked about before, a business, whether it's a traditional business plan or thoughtful goals? You know, fourth, are you already established in your industry with a resume from previous experience? And are you keeping up with those contacts, which is super important? Um, the fifth thing is if your grand plan fails, can you actually get another job quickly? Um, if you've answered yes to those things, you could be an ideal candidate to pursue an entrepreneurial endeavor. If you answered yes to any of these three things, including having health, if you need a health insurance that's extensive for you and your family, um, you should not go into starting a business because that might be precarious. Or if you've consistently become frustrated with work and always want to pursue a cool idea, then you might want to <laughs> take a beat on that. Um, if you think, if you, if you have a cool idea for a business every single day, you know, it, it might just be that you have a cool idea for a business every day and you should get a hobby <laughs> um, and realize that maybe your dream isn't a sustainable career and maybe just a hobby. So, uh, you know, within the book, I come up with a, a checklist for those folks. And those are the things that I came up with personally before I burned my bra, so to speak, and uh, left sort of the corporate America with the HR department and whatnot and mm -hmm. went off onto my, uh, to create my own company. Well, that's a very specific example of the kind of detailed advice that you give in your new book, Rich Bitch, that was released yesterday. It's available in bookstores everywhere. It's available online everywhere. I think you can even buy it through the NicoleLappin.com website. Yeah, you sure can. Well, Nicole, thank you. This has been very educational, and thank it was you. a treat to speak with you. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for your interest, Stephen. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about the show or anything we mentioned during this episode, just check out the website at theauthorbiz.com. You can also subscribe to the show at the site by clicking the big green subscribe button or at iTunes or Stitcher. If you have comments or suggestions, please leave them at the site or you can email me at authorbiz at gmail.com. I'm Stephen Campbell, and I hope you'll join us again next time.